everybody, and welcome back to episode 12 of the Mia's Mom podcast. I'm Cambry, the host of this podcast, and I'm really glad that you're here listening. Today, I'm really excited about this episode. I have Katie Peters here, who is Jack's speech therapist. And if you've been following along with the podcast, you know that Jack has been diagnosed with childhood apraxia of speech. And May is actually Apraxia Awareness Month. This is our first year celebrating and advocating for apraxia. It's very exciting. And I've wanted to have Katie on the podcast for a while, probably since the first or second episode, I asked if she would be willing to come on. And it just seemed right to have her on in May to help celebrate Apraxia Awareness Month. So welcome to Mia's mom, Katie. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Jack and I have been coming to see you every week now for almost a year. And I feel like since you see us every week, and even though Jack doesn't speak a ton, he still is an oversharing toddler. And I have to (laughs) translate whatever he says. You know almost everything about us, probably more than we want you to know about us. (laughs) Can you share a little bit about yourself to the pod? And so I can get to know you a little bit better outside of speech. Yeah, this is kind of a a fun way to do this too, because I feel like we're kind of switching from being like therapist parent to kind of more like friends, which is kind of cool. Yeah, it is cool. (laughs) So I'm Katie. I'm originally from Michigan, um, born and raised, and I decided it was too cold in Michigan. And (laughs) my husband and I packed up and moved to North Carolina in June of 2019, right before a pandemic hit. Yes. (laughs) I did not realize that. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we've been down here for, gosh, almost four years now, which feels crazy because it feels like we've been down here for forever. So I'm married. My husband and I actually met our very first day of college and have been together ever since. And we're going on six years married this summer. And I'm a speech language pathologist, as we all know. And I've been doing that for six years. And I absolutely love it. I work in a pediatric private practice here in North Carolina. And I'm also a mom. I have a energetic 14-month-old <laughs> son who actually reminds me a lot of Jack. He's always moving and is so energetic. So it's it's been fun. He keeps me on my toes. Oh, for sure. They always do, especially the boys. I feel like, yes. I mean, you know, Jack is just all over the place. <laughs> yes, that's, that's where we're at too. You know, he's learning all these fun things right now. He's at a really fun age where He's starting to talk and trying to figure things out. He's starting to do some chores. Like he loves throwing things in the garbage. Yes. That's always good when you can get him to do stuff. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) Except for when he tries to throw, you know, like shoes in the garbage and toys. But, you know, we'll get there. Right. Jack is really into doing laundry right now. So he helps me put the soap in there and I hand in the clothes and he like puts them in and he loves doing that right now. Oh, so fun. It helps me stay on top of keeping laundry done too, which is great. (laughs) Exactly. That's perfect. (laughs) So what got you interested in being a speech therapist? So I've always known that I wanted to work with kids. My whole, whole life I've grown up wanting to do this. I've babysat. I used to be a swim coach and this was always kind of my passion. Um, most people that work with kids, they're like, oh, I'm going to be a teacher, which I knew I didn't want to do. I, I wanted to be able to work with kids one-on-one in a small setting, see them, you know, for 30 minutes 
instead of all day, every day. And so I, I started doing some research. I learned about speech when I was an undergrad and started doing some observations and some research about it. And I just, I just fell in love. I love language. I love being able to connect with the kids and watch them grow. And I think development and all of those things is very, very fascinating. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I can imagine. What made you decide to focus on apraxia? So I think apraxia is very interesting as well. And it's not something that we learn a lot about in school, which is surprising. So what actually kind of got me into apraxia is I started doing a lot of work with dyslexia. So in undergrad, I got some trainings in dyslexia treatment and started tutoring a little boy with dyslexia. And there's actually a lot of correlation between dyslexia and apraxia. So as I was working with dyslexia, I was learning more about apraxia and how they relate. And then my first year outside of grad school, one of my supervisors was trained in some apraxia approaches. And so I learned a lot from her and I just kept going with it. And I, I think it's so fascinating how, how it all works and how the brain is working and the sounds in your mouth. And it's just kind of continued from there. Yeah, yeah. So I guess this is a good spot to say what is apraxia because I have I have kind of told everybody a little bit about Jack's diagnosis, mm -hmm. but you're obviously specialized in this. So give us what is apraxia? So apraxia is a motor speech disorder where there is a neurological disconnect in the brain. So what's happening is when you are communicating, right, your brain is sending signals to your mouth to make the sounds and to make the words and so we can talk. But what happens in apraxia is there's a breakdown. So there's a challenge with the ability for the brain to plan and program the mouth to make the sounds. So it, the signal is getting broken down so kids can't coordinate their jaw, their tongue, their lips in order to sequence the sounds to make the words. They can make all the sounds, but they aren't able to sequence them together to make the words in a clear way that we do. So what happens is there's a breakdown and there's a lot of groping behaviors where kids are trying to move their mouth and no sounds are coming out. And, you know, they can't say a lot of long words. They might not have a lot of words that they can say consistently. And it's just a lot of a lot of breakdown and hardship for them. Yeah. I want to ask you really quickly, with Jack, he had trouble nursing. Is that, a, is there a correlation there? There might be. Okay. I'm not as familiar and well-versed with feeding. Okay. But it very well could be because with apraxia, you know, there's a disconnect with to your mouth. And a lot of kids with apraxia often also have dyspraxia, so other coordination issues. So uh -huh. being able to climb, jump, run, those there's a lot of breakdown in those areas often so it's very possible okay that just popped into my head I was just yeah. curious I learned recently I'm trying to educate myself more and I learned recently that it's called childhood apraxia of speech even mm -hmm. as an adult yeah so why is it called childhood apraxia of speech in an adult because it is something that presents in childhood okay so that's when you're like originally diagnosed with it there's a lot of, of names and ways that you can call it. People sometimes call it childhood apraxia of speech. You can call it apraxia of speech. You can just call it apraxia. You can call it verbal dyspraxia. There's a lot of different terminology that's like all very similar but slightly different. So they all kind of mean the same thing. Okay, gotcha. What causes it? So there's three main reasons that kids will have apraxia. Um, there's, it's idiopathic. So there's no known reason. And that's pretty much the most common one. 
I think there's more research coming out about a genetic marker that might be causing it. I don't know much about this one and I don't know if it's like a set, this is the gene that's causing apraxia, but I think they're starting to do more research on that. And then there's also a neurological impairment that might cause it. So like if you have a stroke or if there's some kind of trauma or something like that, that's also possible as well. And you can also have apraxia in adulthood. So that's going to present differently. So if somebody has a stroke as an adult, you may develop apraxia from that. Oh, okay. Okay, gotcha. Is it something that can be outgrown like we see with children that have just like a typical speech delay? Actually, no, it's not outgrown. Because it is neurological, it means you're going to have it for life. But what's really cool about it is we can help reprogram the brain and help with those connections so that people are able to communicate functionally into adulthood. So before Jack was diagnosed, I had never heard of this before. How common is it? Is it pretty common, uncommon? It's pretty rare. I was looking up the stats. It's about one to two per 1,000 children. So it's not very common, but it's not so uncommon that as a speech therapist, I'm never going to see it in my career. But you're right. It's something that's not well known. And I feel like every time I tell a parent about apraxia, they're like, what's this? I've never heard of this before. Right. So it's something that's not very well known out in the world. Right. What would you say is a common misconception of apraxia or misconceptions if there's a couple that you have? There's two that come to mind um, that it can be outgrown. I think that's a really common misconception, especially as kids have been in therapy for a long time and as they're older and turn into adults, they're they're able to communicate verbally. And so it doesn't always present like it's apraxia, but it's still there. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing that I think commonly happens is that people think kids are lazy or they're shy or, you know, they don't want to talk, but really they do want to talk and they just physically cannot a lot of the times. Mm-hmm. It's so hard. So hard. I know. Sweet Jack. He tries so hard. I know. He really does. And he has he has really broken out of his shell a lot with yes. you. And he's made a lot of progress. But it is just so hard. Yes, it really is. I want to share our apraxia story really quickly. Again, I've said yes. a little bit on here before, but... Before we started speech therapy, Jack and I just assumed, did I say Jack and, what did I just Yeah. Say? I said Jack. <laughs> Jack and, so yeah. before we started speech therapy, Drew and I assumed that Jack had a typical speech delay because I have a couple of friends on Instagram that are speech therapists. And while we're not close friends, they would be posting stuff throughout the pandemic saying that limited interactions with kids and the masking during mm-hmm. covid was just causing a lot of speech delays. And I had heard that once he did get in speech therapy after like three to six months or something, he would be back on track and caught up with everybody. Mm -hmm. So we started seeing you shortly after his second birthday um, in July of 2022. And shortly after that, you ended up leaving that office. But Before you left, I asked if we could have a meeting to go over Jack's progress. And I'm pretty sure it was at that appointment Mm -hmm. that you told me he he was still really young or a little bit young to make an official diagnosis, but that he was showing several signs of apraxia of speech. And again, like I mentioned, I had never heard of that before. I didn't know what that was, 
But you explained to me that it was a neurological disconnect between his brain and his mouth and that speech is always going to be something that's hard for him and that speech therapy is going to be with him for a really long time, possibly forever. And you were so gentle whenever you told me this. And I really, really appreciate it because you were gentle, but really straightforward Mm -hmm. with me. Like you weren't trying to mask anything. You were trying to educate me and prepare me for what life is going to look like for us. So I really appreciate it. Well, thank you. You did tell me not to Google anything because (laughs) that would just overwhelm me. There's a bunch of scary information out there and it wouldn't be helpful. The words that you were saying to me were really scary. But when you told me that, I don't know. I, I felt immediate peace after our appointment. And I think that it's just because... I had an answer. Yeah. I don't know how to explain it. But before we, you know, before we started coming to you, we just thought this was a speech delay and it felt good to know what exactly was happening with Jack. So after that appointment, I called Drew to tell him exactly what you told me. And then we went to the park with Wells, you know, all about Wells. Jack talks about (laughs) Wells all the time. And I can vividly remember talking to my friend Bethany and sharing all of this with her. And she is such a good friend. She is so supportive. But I could tell with her expression, it was weird at how calm I was. But she was like super supportive and like giving me the good energy with that. But later that night when Drew got home, we talked about it a little bit more. And I did not Google anything, but Drew did. (laughs) And he was freaking out. He kind of came home and was a little bit nervous and scared. And a couple of days later, he started feeling better about it. And then I decided it would be a good idea to start Googling stuff. And I was the one that started panicking and freaking out. Do you watch The Office? No. Uh, Okay. There's an episode where Michael Scott leaves Dunder Mifflin and starts the Michael Scott Paper Company. And Pam comes with him and they both kind of have these freakouts that they've left like their comfortable job and in this like unknown and one of them is like the voice of reason while the other one is having a panic and that's what I feel like whenever I look back on like our early apraxia days I feel like we were in that scene Drew would freak out and I would be the voice of reason and then (laughs) I would freak out and he would be the voice of reason it was just it was a lot of unknowns at that point yeah and and apraxia is something that's so scary or it's, it's scarier than what it, it actually is. And, you know, you don't want anything to be wrong with your baby. And then I come in and I say he has a neurological speech disorder. And that's scary because yes. we're talking about your brain and something that it can't really be fixed. You right. know, like there's no magic cure for it. And it is a little bit more complex than a speech delay. And it is going to mean speech therapy and struggles for him for his communication for the rest of his life. But at the same time, you know, he's going to talk, he's going to be able to communicate and we're going to help him get all those strategies and the tools that he needs. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to share all of that because now, I mean, we're almost at a year mark here. I feel really good about where we are and we love coming to you and it's still really hard. Like you said, Mm -hmm. Jack still has really hard moments and I still have really hard days, but 
I guess I don't want everybody listening to think that I was always as confident as I am now with his diagnosis because I definitely was not always this confident. No, and I would never expect any parent to be, which is always why when I first meet a kid or once I, you know, start suspecting it, I never just like throw it on a parent. It's always something that, you know, I have to make sure I really know the kid and be really confident in it because it it is scary and you go to Google it and it's a lot scarier and you see a little bit of everything and there is such a range of the disorder as well. Right, right. It, it's just it's just hard like it's just a hard thing yes and it's really isolating I, I asked you recently for some resources because I don't know anybody well I didn't know anybody that had apraxia and it's really hard when you see your child struggle and in our case something so essential like struggling to speak And it can just feel so isolating as a parent when you don't know anybody who has experienced this or is experiencing it with you. And you gave me some really great resources. I'm actually going to link those in the show notes today. But one in particular that I wanted to mention on here is Jordan Christian Levon at Fighting For My Voice. He is 26 years old and... I don't know. When did I tell you that I started following him? Was this like two or three weeks ago? I think so. Yeah. Cause I wasn't very long ago that I gave you all these resources. Yeah. And it, it just clicked for me to see him cause he is an adult with apraxia. He actually started the apraxia foundation. He's like super passionate about advocating and spreading awareness. And it was so weird and good and made me cry to like see what Jack might sound like someday. It was just a complete unknown to me. I I didn't have any of this stuff to look at. And it was just really emotional. And now I'm kind of obsessed with him. I love him so much. (laughs) He's amazing. It is so so crazy. Yeah, he, he is amazing. Yeah. Another one that I want to mention really quickly that also gave me that like, okay, this is making sense to me is SLP mommy of apraxia Mm -hmm. and she is a mom who is a speech therapist and her daughter has apraxia so with this one I think for me just you might feel this way sometimes too but as parents and specifically as moms (laughs) anytime something goes wrong we kind of carry it around with us like we were the cause of it somehow yes even though we know that we're not it just is a burden that you kind of just carry around and for me seeing a professional speech therapist with a child that has apraxia somehow just reaffirmed me that it wasn't me that it wasn't because we isolated during COVID or that I didn't read to him enough or that we weren't around friends and family all the time it clicked that it's like truly a neurological disconnect from his brain to his mouth so I don't know if that makes any sense it makes sense to me but I just wanted to share her account as well yeah, I think I think she's a really a, a special one for parents, especially because, you know, you get the parent side of things and the mom side of what it's like to be a parent with apraxia. For sure. And that's huge. Definitely. So you mentioned in your intro that you have a son too, a little 14 month old. So as a dental hygienist, I'm always worried that I'm not brushing Jack's teeth well enough or that he's going to have a cavity when we go to the dentist. 
do you worry about similar things? Like, do you worry about him having trouble with his speech in the future? I mean, yeah, I think we all kind of stress about our babies, don't we? Yeah. And I think coming from this job, especially, like I know so much, um, especially with about development and kind of how things go. He actually was born with a lip and a tongue tie, Mm -hmm. which I caught immediately. And so I got to actually be the mom of a child needing therapy. And so we had those clipped when he was about five weeks old after going to the pediatrician and the pediatrician telling me, oh, it's no big deal. He'll be fine. I'm like, no, right. no, he actually won't be. But I'm going to go get these clipped. Yeah. And he did okay nursing, but we had a lot of issues transitioning to a bottle. Mm-hmm. As a result of the ties, he had a little bit of torticollis. And so we ended up having to do some OT. So being, I've been on the other side of things as the mom of a child in therapy. And it was a nice perspective for me as a therapist too, to kind of get both sides of things. And I have a a different outlook of those kinds of things as well. So that was my my little experience with that. And I think because I know so much and and what I do know, I'm just hyper aware of things maybe. Yeah. Which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Do you find yourself doing specific things with him to try to get him to speak more or you just kind of go with the flow at home? I definitely am more go with the flow than I am in like a typical therapy session, but I think it's kind of ingrained in my brain on like (laughs) how to play with toys that's going to promote language. My husband gets so mad at me sometimes. He goes, stop therapizing him. I'm like, I'm not doing it on purpose. (laughs) I don't mean to. But I, I definitely, like, we taught him several signs that he uses. And so I'm always telling my husband, like, hey, wait, he knows how to say more. Make him tell you before you give him his toys. <laughs> so not not directly, but indirectly, yes. And he is a very social little guy and is a pretty good communicator. His first word was mama. So I, I, I get blamed by my husband that that's my fault. You know, I made him do that. <laughs> you can tell your husband I stay home with Jack full time and his first words was dada. So I don't know if it matters. <laughs> <laughs> Normally kids do say dada first because developmentally the D sound comes before the M sound. Oh, okay. So there you go. There's your little make you feel a little bit better. <laughs> That's funny. I do want to talk to you about this really quick. So you work in an office, which is where we come to see you, but you also work in a school system or at a specific school? Yes. So I work at a private practice and this private practice has several school contracts that we work through. So mostly with charter schools. So charter schools in the area don't hire like their own therapists. Like a public school will have an empl- like a speech therapist on their own staff. Like they hire them themselves, whereas charter schools don't. And so they contract out to other companies. Okay. The company that I work at, we have several school contracts. And so um, I go to one of those school contracts. Okay. You just go to like one school. Yep. So I go to one school three mornings of the week and then the rest of the time I spend in the clinic. Okay. Gotcha. So you and I have talked about Jack seeing a speech therapist through his school system too in the fall when he starts um, preschool. If children need something specific like he does with apraxia, is there a way to request that through a public school system or not really? In terms of like just getting speech in general? In terms of getting speech with a speech therapist that is specialized in apraxia? Yes and no. So you can request for a speech therapist at any time. You can request for a speech evaluation at any time. This is my first time actually working in a school. I've only ever worked in private practices. So 
I'm not a great school example. I don't know a ton about them, but I will do my best with what I know. Okay, gotcha. Um, you can always request for a speech evaluation through the school. In terms of getting somebody that's specialized in apraxia or specialized in something through the school, I don't think is as common because apraxia, because it's a little bit more rare, it's not as well known in the schools and it's not, it's not seen as often. So you most likely won't get somebody that's specialized in apraxia in the school. So what I recommend is that kids do both. You know, you get your school therapy and then you have your outpatient with your speech therapist that specializes in apraxia. And so I often work very closely with school speech therapists. So I'll collaborate with them like, hey, here are the goals I'm working on. Here's the approaches I'm using. Try this. And we kind of collaborate and work together. And that's kind of how you get the best of both worlds. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense for sure. Do you only see apraxia cases? No, I I wish I did, <laughs> but no, I don't. Being in a clinic like I'm at, we see a large variety of kids. Um, we see autism, language disorders, articulation, fluency, cerebral palsy, pretty much anything that comes through the door, we are trained to treat. But because I have this specialization in apraxia and then I also have specialization in dyslexia, that's primarily what my caseload is. So if we get referrals in, for those two diagnoses, they will come to me versus somebody else. But I do have a handful of other types of disorders as well. So what does a apraxia visit, an apraxia case look like versus a speech delay or something different whenever you're planning on what to do in an appointment? So a speech delay could mean a couple different things. So there's language, which is your ability to communicate expressively. So what type of output you have, whether that's verbal, sign language, or some kind of communication device. And then your receptive language is your understanding. So if a kid has a delay in that area, it's going to look very different than apraxia because apraxia, we're working on the motor movements of your mouth in order to make the sounds to say the words. Most of those kids have typical receptive language. Their understanding of language is usually pretty typical. There's often an expressive delay, but it's mostly because they can't, you know, make the verbal output. So it's hard for them to make the sentences and to say all the grammatical forms of words correctly. And then you can also have a delay in articulation or phonology, which is like your sound production. So kids, you know, that can't say their R's or that have a lisp, those kinds of things. That's going to probably look the closest to what an apraxia treatment would look like because with the articulation, you're working on the production of those sounds. But it's going to be a little bit different in the sense that with the articulation, you're just working on like those individual sound productions where with apraxia, you're working on the motor movements. Gotcha. So I, from the very beginning, (laughs) have always stayed in the room with you guys just because Jack was really clingy to me and then that's just what we do now. Do you usually recommend for parents to stay in there with you during treatment or do you recommend kind of having that space where it's just the kid and you? I think it depends on the kid and I always encourage parents to come back in the sessions. Mm -hmm. I see Jack for 30 minutes once or twice a week and you are with him the rest of the time. So I get a very, very small piece of his life. Mm -hmm. So having you in the room to see what we're doing and how we're doing things so that you can work on it at home, I think is so important. Yes. With that said, some kids do much better when mom and dad are not in the room. So it kind of depends. If a kid 
is happier and compliant when parents are in the room, I say, yes, please stay. But if a kid is going to act up or be too shy or whatever, then I say, parents, you need to leave. Yeah. Yeah, that's great that you can have that communication with parents and tell them what they need to do for the best thing for the child. So it can be frustrating for me and for Jack when a child can't communicate their thoughts to their parents or to somebody else. What tools do you recommend using to aid in communication when verbally speaking isn't an option like it is with us? There's actually a lot of options, which is really, really cool. So one of the biggest ones is AAC, which is Augmentative and Alternative Communication. And there's a lot of different varieties of AAC devices from something as simple as a picture board that you print off and you can point to what you want to something like a tablet that has a software that produces speech output where you click a couple buttons and it makes a verbal output for sentences. And AAC is a really great tool for kids as they're learning those motor programs to make sounds. And it's really awesome for them if you know, they're out at school or with friends and you don't have mom to help translate one because mom knows what everything that you're saying and and to repair those breakdowns because frustration is a huge, huge piece of it, right? Kids get Mm -hmm. so frustrated when we don't understand them. And then the other one is using any kind of gestures or sign language. Sign language is always a great place to start with any kid who isn't speaking verbally or has any kind of delay. I always start with sign language because it comes first developmentally to use gestures before verbal communication. So that's another great option. The downside of sign language though is it's not as universal. Not everybody knows sign language, but if you have a device, anybody can listen to somebody speaking through a device. Right. Yeah. So pretty early on, I actually don't know if you recommended the AAC device or if it was the speech therapist that we saw after you, but we have an app that we use on our iPad called LAMP and we don't use it as much as we probably should, but we kind of use it as a way to expand Jack's vocabulary a little bit. So like you said, it's one of those devices that speaks for him. So he can push a button and it will say the word and then a lot of the times he will try to repeat it. We use that sometimes. And then Drew and I are actually taking a sign language class this summer that I'm really excited about. I've always been really interested in sign language, but it does seem a little bit overwhelming to learn a new language at 31 years old. Are you fluent in sign language? No. Okay. I took a couple classes in college, mostly like because of you, because I think it's super cool. A lot of speech therapists will get a minor in sign language, but I didn't. Okay. Um, so I took a few classes. I know like the basics, but that's it. Okay. I didn't know because I have seen a lot of speech therapists that do know sign language. Even, I mean, the signs that you have shown us, it seems like you know quite a few too, but I didn't know if that was something that you learned in school as a speech therapist or if that's something additional that you do. Uh, something additional. We learn like the basics, you know, like more all done, eat mom, dad. But then where I went to, so I went to Central Michigan University and they offer sign language minors there. So I was very fortunate. I took a a few classes with that. So there are times when we can't understand him. I would say most of the time we can understand like 90 to 95 percent of what Jack is trying to tell us. But when we can't, it is heartbreaking. He doesn't get frustrated, but his little expression, I mean, he's just the happiest little guy and you can just tell his expression changes. It's so rare, but when it does happen, he just 
repeats himself a lot and will ask questions like, can you point to it? Is it in here with us? Is it like in the room? Is it upstairs? Is it downstairs? And after a while, if we can't figure it out, he just kind of like will shake his head no and move on. What are some tips that we can do or that friends and family members can do in those types of situations where Jack or somebody else with apraxia isn't understood? I think what you're doing is perfect. I do a lot of that too when I don't understand kids and I'll say like, oh, show me what you're trying to tell me or a lot of yes, no questions are great or can you tell me in a different way? I think the biggest thing is that we just need to be patient. You know, these kids want to talk. They know what they're trying to say. They just can't. So understanding what apraxia is, what it means is huge and just giving them all the tools and the resources so that they are able to tell us what they want to say. Do you have any advice for friends or family members interacting with Jack? I have tried really hard this month, I guess, for Apraxia Awareness Month to share on my social media every day a new fact about apraxia or a video from like one of the accounts that I follow just so that other people can get educated on it. And I I just want more people to know so that they know what's going on with Jack. So I guess that the hardest thing for me through all of this is people not understanding that Jack understands what they're saying Mm -hmm. and they will like ask me how to sign something and I'm like you can just tell him like he he can understand what you're saying yeah so what is some advice that you would give to friends and family members when they're interacting with Jack or somebody with apraxia yeah I think you're doing everything right and that's what's so hard with apraxia and and with a lot of other disorders you know kids that are non-speaking whether they have apraxia or autism or any other condition you know people assume that they don't understand or they're not listening something that I always do if I am going to talk about a kid in their presence I always ask their permission like oh can I talk to mom about you or can I tell mom what we're doing right now so that they know that I understand that they're listening and they can hear me Mm -hmm. so that's something that you could do too you know be like yes this person's not understanding you right now can I tell them what you're trying to say or can I help you those might be good resource things that you can do and then the same thing you know just tell them like he's trying like just be patient he can do it those kinds of things and just I think the more that we can educate about apraxia the better it's just going to be for everybody because it's out there and people just don't know it. Yeah. So I posted a question box on Instagram to see if anybody wanted to ask any questions for me to ask you. And a few people submitted questions, but I do want to give a quick plug that if you aren't following me on Instagram, you should go do that now. It is at me as mom pod and I mostly post in stories over there. So you can ask questions, give input on future episodes and see behind the scenes stuff. So Katie, when should you seek the help from a speech language pathologist? I think it depends on on your kid, you know, and I think if you have concerns, it never hurts to schedule an evaluation or talk to your pediatrician about what your concerns are. Or you could even ask for a screening. A lot of places will do free screenings and a screening would just be a quick 10 to 15 minute assessment where we just like do a quick check of a couple things and see if we would recommend uh, further evaluating them for whatever skill. 
or, you know, maybe you come in, they pass the screening and we say, you're okay, maybe watch it, come back in a few months if you still have concerns. But it never hurts to call and schedule an evaluation. We're always here to help. I think the biggest thing is early intervention is key. The earlier you can get a kid in for therapy, the better. As we know, kids' brains are growing and developing all the time. And the earlier that we can start helping them to build those new skills is going to just help them in the long run. So don't wait. The wait and see method never works. But if you have concerns, it never hurts to get an opinion. How can somebody easily explain to somebody else that apraxia isn't from masking or for isolation during COVID? Yeah, COVID really... uh, (laughs) made things so complicated, didn't it? It really did. Um, It's not from COVID. It's a neurological condition that you're born with, and it has absolutely nothing to do with your exposure to other people or anything like that. It's just how your brain works. It's just a a different way of thinking with your brain. Awesome. Number three, for friends and family members of anybody with apraxia, if somebody with apraxia is having a hard time communicating what they're trying to say, is it better for the person listening to be patient and try to let them finish what they're saying verbally or for the person listening to suggest using an AAC device or for the person to use sign language to try to communicate it? I think that's a great question but I don't know if I'm the right person to answer it because I don't have apraxia and I think it might be dependent on the person. Okay. What I do in my sessions and when I'm communicating with the kids, most of the kids I speak with are are trying to communicate verbally. So I let them try. I let them finish what they're trying to say. I mean, they're working so hard to tell us. So I really want to honor that. And then, you know, if I'm not understanding, I say, okay, I'm really sorry. Can you tell me again? Or I, I really like to reiterate like, what you're saying to me is so important to me. I really want you to tell me. I really want to know what you have to say so that they understand like it's worth the effort. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, if I'm still not understanding kind of like what we've said before, what other ways can you show me? Can you use a device? Can you sign it? What else can you do so that I am able to understand it? Perfect. All right. Number four, why use sign language or an AAC device as part of treatment if the goal is for them to speak verbally? So what's really cool about AAC especially is that, and what's a really common misconception with AAC is that AAC really helps promote verbal communication. And that's, that's really the end goal, right? Because that's the most universal way that everybody communicates is through verbal communication. So people think that if a kid is using a device, that's an easy way out and then they don't have to talk. But really what it's doing is it's giving them more input of the words and the sounds and things that they can say. So one of the things with apraxia that's really helpful is kids are usually able to produce the words better if they can hear it verbally. So if I say a word, they're generally able to produce it better than if they're just saying it spontaneously themselves. So if they have that verbal output from a device, they're able to hear it and then produce it themselves. And so with AAC, what's really helpful, and I think you mentioned you do this with Jack, you know, he puts in his device what he wants to say and then he'll verbally say it as well. So that's just giving him more practice on how to build those pathways and how to move his mouth to make those words. So part of my treatment and one of my jobs is, is I want these kids to be functional in the real world. I'm not going to be there every day. Mom's not going to be there all the time to translate when they're not understood. So what tools can we give them so they can be functional when they go to school and when they're out playing with friends? And if there's an emergency and he gets lost or something or he needs help and you're not there, so what can he use so that he is able to be understood? 
So we want to help kids have all those tools in their pocket for when they need them. Oh, perfect. You said that so beautifully. Oh, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, number five, how can teachers be supportive if they have a child with apraxia in their classroom? I think that's a great one. And like we just keep saying, apraxia just isn't very well known. And I think teachers just, they don't know what it is. And like we've said, you know, they think the kid is shy or they think they're lazy or maybe they just think it's like a normal sound disorder. Like they can't produce this sound when really it's a lot more complex than that. So I think being able to educate teachers on what apraxia is and teach them to have patience and learn how the child likes to communicate and what you can do to help support them to communicate is going to be really huge to help them in the classroom. Okay, and number six, are there organizations that you like that help kids with apraxia get access to therapy? You mentioned the Apraxia Foundation already, which is fantastic. Mm -hmm. And I think something that they've recently started doing is offering grants for families um, who need services that can't afford it. Speech therapy is very expensive, especially if you don't have insurance. And insurance is often terrible. And you get 30 visits a year or you get no visits covered or you have really high deductibles. And something with apraxia is these kids need to have consistent therapy they recommend like three times a week for therapy and so you know that adds up quickly so having um, the apraxia foundation offering grants for families is huge i also really love apraxia kids they have a lot of resources and support for families and information about getting treatment and therapists are registered on that website so you can find a therapist in your area and what insurances they take and so that's another really great resource Awesome. Katie, do you have anything else that you want to talk about that we didn't already cover? I don't think so. I think we covered a lot. Yeah, we did. I want to say that I am so thankful for you. You do such a great job with Jack. I truly cannot express. I mean, I'm just so thankful for you. He loves you so much and we love you. And I can tell just by watching you how truly passionate you are about what you do. And I'm just so thankful that we were placed with you. Our pediatrician gave us a list of offices and y'all's was like the top rated one. And we were on a wait list and we waited. And when we got placed with you, I found out that, you know, later on after he was diagnosed with apraxia, I found out that you were specialized in apraxia and you were the head speech therapist there. And I'm just so thankful. Thank you for all of the work that you put in with Jack. And thank you for being on the podcast. You are so welcome. I just love Jack and he is so much fun and such a bright spot in my day. And it has been so fun watching him grow and learn. And it really just came out of like, I feel like all the stars aligned for you guys to fall into my lap. You were one of my first evaluations from getting back from maternity leave. And I just like everything just fell into place with with this. And I'm so I'm so thankful for you guys. And I'm so excited to be on this journey with you. Oh, thank you, Katie. You're so welcome. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I hope that you like hearing from Katie and that you learned a little bit more about apraxia. I know that May is almost over, but that doesn't mean that we have to stop learning about apraxia and advocating for our apraxia friends like Jack-Jack. So be sure to check out the show notes today to find out additional resources about apraxia, including my favorite apraxia Instagram accounts, 
Jordan's YouTube page, and the Apraxia Foundation's website. If you liked this episode or any previous episodes, please share them with your friends. And if you feel like it, you can leave me a rating or a review to show your love of the show. I'll be back next week with another episode and I will talk to y'all then. Bye.